0: Hello everyone, welcome back to Good Job Adventures. I'm now going to be DMing this fine little podcast, (laughs) and as a result, this arc is going to be taking place in kind of an alternate universe, wherein certain life choices that the characters made are going to be different, and as such, they will be different character classes. Also, in lieu of Wilhelm, Vin's going to be running a character of his own design, so what we're going to do first is just kind of run through what every new universe character is like, and then we're going to just kind of get the ball rolling. So who wants to go first?
1: I will go first. My character, I'm still playing Owl. Like Harris said, the main difference is instead of being a rogue, I am now a warlock. So I have got some magic at my disposal. Pretty much the main thing. Uh, I can go next.
2: I'm still playing Ander. However, instead of being a warlock, I am a monk. So I've lost all the magic at my disposal. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I'm playing... Er- Breathweaver in this uh, universe never ended up with the uh, dragon affinity. Instead, he eventually became a pirate named Arthos,
4: a Red Reaver Barbarian. I am still going to be playing Elagos, and uh, in this universe, he is a wildfire druid with a little bit of barbarian put in there for flavor and for rage, and uh, since people mainly in my party have been telling me I need to make character voice to make it less confusing... I'm now going to be talking like David Hayter from Metal Gear whenever I'm talking in character. So you get what you wish for.
1: It's fantastic. Get what you fucking deserve.
4: (laughs) (laughs) What do you get? When you cross a character with no voice. And a player who doesn't want to make one. And uh, I'll just sum it up here last. Uh, I'm playing a character, as Harry said, of my own design. Uh, His name is Roth, and he is a uh, human wizard uh, with the Mage Hunter subclass. Fun fact,
0: before we started recording, Vin straight up asked us, how many spells can a wizard cast? <laughs> how many legs does he <laughs> get? Yeah.
4: Alright, alright. All oh right. boy. <laughs> Everyone always asking what does Bane do? No one ever asking how's Bane do. <laughs> like you
0: motherfucker. <laughs> alright, so we're gonna act- we're gonna actually like move along instead of just fucking about. How this is gonna be structured is a bit weird, wherein before we start recording, I asked everyone in the party to kind of come up with, like, a little introductory scene for their character. Kind of, a, kind of like what we did for the live episode, so we are just kind of go through those.
4: And if you haven't seen the live episode, you should check it out. It's great. Yes.
0: But, um, either way, once we, once we do each of the introductory scenes, I've mapped them out so that they all kind of, like, very... Th- smoothly transitioned into
4: the actual main plot of the arc. I'm sorry.
2: I don't know why that, but it was so funny. (laughs) It was
4: really fucking good. I'm I'm still laughing about it.
2: The what? Nothing. (laughs) Oh dear.
4: So
0: I guess we're just going to start. We come upon a small village bar during the day. A number of patrons are seated at tables, notably a group of paladins clad in armor, share drinks and stories at their own private table. A hooded figure enters, makes his way to the bar, and sits down in front of a bottle and glass. He removes his hood, revealing a pair of blue horns and wild, unkempt hair. The bar is now silent, as all eyes are fixated upon the intruder. Hey, this is a private bar. We don't serve your kind here. The stranger does not move. Hey, are, are you deaf? Guild members only. You don't strike me as a member of the guild,
4: Hornhead. Is membership transferable?
0: He reaches into his cloak and produces a bloody signal of Helm, letting it fall to the bar beside the glass with a loud clank. The other patrons are visibly distraught by the sight of this. Most begin to exit the bar, but not the paladins. They get up from their table and move to confront Elagos. Elagos then takes the bottle and begins to pour the liquor into the glass.
5: Alright then, you've either got some big balls, or you have no idea who you're messing with, Horns.
4: Your order is led by a man named Hector. The paladins look at one another surprised. That is correct. This is his village, his rules. And rule number one is humans only. As I recall, this valley belonged to the Wood Elves. They had no problem with me last time I was here. Well,
0: now it is under new management. Everything in this valley belongs to Hector.
4: This valley, the gnomish woods to the far east of it, the orcish wetlands to the south.
0: At this point, the liquor has reached the brim of the glass. Elagos continues pouring as it begins to overflow onto the bar.
4: It seems to me like this order of yours has a penchant for taking things that belong to folks with horns or fangs or pointed ears.
0: Well, we just like to do our part to make the realm a better place... The other paladins laugh, he then draws a short blade and prepares to cut Elagos' throat. Now then, allow me to demonstrate our process. As the paladin moves to strike, Elagos responds by slamming the bottle into his attacker's head, thus filling his face with glass shards. Stunned, the paladin wails in pain and staggers back. Paladin One tries to intervene, but before he can do so, Elagos grabs him by the neck and begins to lift them off of his feet. Despite his size, the tiefling seems much stronger than anticipated. The other Paladins then draw their weapons, but with their leader in Elgos' clutches, there is little that these initiates can do to help him.
4: You know what's funny? It just so happens that I'm also here because I want to make the realm a better place. Allow me to show you my process.
0: He casts his fireball at point-blank range, thus igniting his helpless Paladin victim, who shrieks in agony. The other Paladins are dumbfounded, as they have never seen this sort of cruel application of magic.
4: Tell your Grand Master that his order is no longer welcome in this village, or any village. Tell him that wherever he decides to spread his infectious crusade, I'll be there shortly after to scorch it out."
0: With this proclamation, Elagos then slams the Paladin's burning corpse onto the liquor-soaked bar which causes it to ignite. Within seconds, the whole wooden structure is alight. One of the Paladins drops his blade in a panic before they all tuck tail and flee from the burning building. Elagos returns to the bar, shoving the charred corpse of his victim away to retrieve the Helmite sigil, which sizzles as he touches it. He turns to leave, but stops to inspect the paladin's dropped blade. It seems strangely familiar to him. A ceiling beam then collapses behind him, thus returning his attention to the matter at hand. He places the blade onto his belt and exits into the town. Alarm bells can be heard ringing in the distance. Oh, shit. Oh, fuck. That's me. (laughs) <laughs> so from there we're gonna transition to the next scene as rain poured from the sky as if the divine were crying tears and mourning caught beneath its downpour was a young man running towards a rundown looking inn a briefcase overhead his boots splashed pools of water onto the ground as he made his way closer he entered the inn thin, wet, black hair plastered to his face which he quickly slicked, ba- slicked back and approached the counter the innkeeper looked him over welcome to the better out Then. I presume a room for the
4: night yeah much appreciated that'll be nine silver
0: he quickly places the coins on the counter and heads upstairs he takes off his drenched coat that is now roughly 10 pounds heavier and makes his way to the cot in the corner of the room he lets out a deep sigh and reaches into his briefcase and retrieves a carton of slightly damp cigarettes bound in a red box he removes one and places it in his mouth and from nowhere pulls a sword close to his face good luck Uh, he whispers and the, the metal comes alive with a fiery hot blaze He lights a cigarette and waves his hand and the blade and the sword disappears from sight. With smoke filling the room, he now begins to ruffle through his suitcase. His arm reaches an elbow deep as if he's looking for something specific and then pulls it out. An unsealed envelope. He opens it with his light betwixt his lips. He begins to read it over. Dear Roth, as far as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. To me, it meant being somebody in a neighborhood full of nobodies. While everyone else is, is starving and spoiling away like rotten tomatoes, I'd be like a king and calling the shots. But that child's dream fell flat on his face, like when we whacked Big Tony. What I mean to say is that this life that I glorified wasn't all that. I'm a prisoner in my own town. I can't walk ten feet away without someone asking for a favor or some spell slinger trying to put a good shot on me. The one good thing that happened in my life was you, kid. When we busted that local home rack for selling kids, I knew I was doing something good. And the icing on the cake was you. Ain't nothing had a baby slap in my face before. I saw you had a fire in you. You could tell, kid. You were special. Let me tell you something, Roth. The saddest thing in life is wasted talent, and I could tell you had loads of it. So I picked you up and made you the man you was is today. My only regret is that I feel you came to love the same life that I now realize leads you nowhere. So I did the only thing I could. I kicked you to the fucking curb just like your parents. Except this time you were ready. You can fight, and you're smarter than the wisest guy I ever met. I only wish that you take this way I mean it. I'm giving you freedom. You ain't owe oh, no one nothing, and you got everything you could have ever needed. So take that freedom and grab it by the balls, go on adventure, see things you never could have seen from our block, and make me proud to call you my son, Don Fabrizio." Roth smiled at the note, slipped it back inside his envelope, and placed it back inside his briefcase. The cigarette had stopped burning, so he cast it to the ground and stepped on it gently. He s- sat back on the cot, closed his eyes, listened to the rain, and fell asleep. The sun rose the next day. Roth was awake and on the inn floor's main floor, warming his hands on a coffee mug. He watched closely as the heat from the mug rose and the steam wafted to the east. He finished his warm drink and thanked the innkeeper and departed in that direction. Roth wasn't the superstitious type, but he took the Don's words to heart. He was going to go on an adventure. The fates were pointing him east today, and that is where he was headed. Moving on. So now we're going to cut to Breathweaver slash Arthos. Over a rough Midnight Ocean, a lone long ship, the Menethil, drifts aimlessly. It stutters a bit in the waves, slightly disturbing the dinner set two, but his captain, Arthos, ignores it as he continues observing his map, tracing routes and waypoints over the aged vellum using his index finger. A grunt is heard down the hall, and Arthos sits down the parchment. The doors creak open, and the grunt gets a face to it, a dignified man in full navy regalia, tidy black hair, and slim features, with a nose and eyes as if taken from a hawk. He's carried by two silent, broad-shouldered scallywags, drop abruptly into a wooden chair, set at the table. He makes all eye contact with his host, sitting at the other end. One of them smiles. Heading back out, the two seamen get covered in the salty spray, shooting <laughs> in from the deck. They shut the creaking door behind them. Arthos tucks the map away, and gestures to the table, as if to say, help yourself. A large appealing tray of meat is spread out before the man. Arthurs m- merely nurses the red wine in his glass.
3: It's been too long, John Peters. Or should I call you Commodore
5: now? Admiral, actually. <laughs> that last skirmish off the Sarkis Isles proved I deserved a few promotions. Twelve warring fleets converging upon a single archipelago, and I didn't lose a single ship.
3: Yet here you are. I count myself lucky. An admiral has
5: graced me with his presence. Just think, if you hadn't succumbed to your insecurities, maybe you'd be where I am now, Arthur. Or should I call you Captain for old times' sake?
3: Actually, it'd be the Crimson Devil. Who do you think started the skirmishes at the Sakash Isles in the first place?
0: The admiral raises an eyebrow, almost looking impressed. He takes off the juiciest cut of steak and delicately begins cutting it up. Arthos
5: takes a sip of wine. You know, what's a shame, Arthos. What be that? The meat's overcooked, the sauce is a bit too spicy. Truly a charmed life you're leading here.
3: Shackles be shackles, even when forged from silver and gold.
5: Well, luckily for you, the punishment for kidnapping an admiral—it's a little higher than a proverbial ball and chain. And kudos to the chef; the sausages are most edible.
3: Much appreciated. I made them myself. I raised the crew myself, and I caught you myself, Jonathan Peterson—replaceable cog in a pointless machine.
5: That machine is churning towards you as we speak. You always sought to be the most famous man in the room. You instead made yourself the only man in the room.
3: Me sword be here, if we want to iron out the obvious plot hole. With ye story there.
5: <laughs> it is rare to be able to mourn someone before they've even died. You, authors, are a waste of potential. You are truly the most pitiful of failures.
3: I'd rather me name be said a thousand times. In hate that never said it all.
5: Hmm, tell me, tell me, <laughs> have you ever heard the tragedy of the broken-down peon?
3: Ah, so ye finished ye autobiography?
5: They both chuckle as the Admiral cautiously bites into the meatloaf to see if it's any better. It follows a down on his luck worker, struggling to support his large family. He lives with his wife and six kids, and his in-laws, too. He works all day, from sunup to sundown, toiling in the field, just so his family can squeeze by.
3: Does the man have a name? A title? That part isn't important. Well, there I must disagree.
5: That man's life. We can call him Aaron, if a name is so important to you. Aaron was scraping by slowly but steadily when the circus came to town. Uh Uh-huh. In the circus were (laughs) seven cursed hobgoblins who offered up a challenge for the dragon of the fabled. A bell rings.
3: Old friend, we must unfortunately cut the story off here. Hmm, are you expecting company? Expecting an ending. And your story had none in sight.
5: I'd say the opposite is true with yours. The Admiral points a fork at Arthos. All oh, your road lead to this dead end. He spins the fork, gesturing towards the room.
3: Nay, this be merely the beginning, Admiral.
5: And how do you figure that?
0: The ship judders and Arthos' glass of wine spills over. Though the liquid is red,
5: it is far more viscous than assumed. Good God, what is in that glass of yours?
3: Do ye know how I got me name, the Crimson Devil? When I spill blood, I tend to have a... Cut to catch it in.
0: He gestures to his wine glass. John Peters looks horrified.
3: By the way, I hope Admiral Weatherville's meat tasted as good as his drink.
0: John Peters vomits and begins stammering in horror sounds of shouting clashing and chaos
3: begin growing outside.
5: You've gone mad, and wetherville has been dead for years. Who in the bloody hell did you murder?
3: It may be easier for ye to ask them ye self.
0: The Admiral looks in shock as Arthos draws his sword and walks over.
3: I thought the Commodore would have been a fine badge of honor. But now, who could possibly forget the name Arthos, the Crimson Devil, Admiral Slayer? And ye told me the parable before, and even then he never reached an end
0: to plunges his sword into the admiral's chest. Suddenly and explosively, he withdraws his sword and licks the blood clean off of it. As John Peters collapses to the floor, Arthos kicks open the door to his quarters and strolls into the scene outside. The deck is utter chaos, his crew in an intense struggle against the invading navy officers streaming from the docked navy vessel beside his ship. John Peters was right, the Navy would track him down, but Arthurs was counting on that. He makes his way up the stairs to the poop deck and gives a mighty roar with the raise of his sword. As the last of his crew falls, the remaining Navy officers surround him.
3: The deed be done, the Admiral is dead. Ye fellows be too late.
0: An officer pipes up.
5: Oh, stand down, out. we, 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 we outnumber you ten to one.
3: Then
0: it be Blood sprays through the night, and soon Arthas is the only one left standing. Both ships are slowly taking on water. He had accounted for this, so slowly traces the route he planned before. As the night grows long, and the ship submerges further and further into the brine, he sees the awaited town before him. Standing atop the mast, the only part still above the water, he disembarks onto the dock ready to spread his legend even further as his ship disappears completely below the waves.
4: Oh my god. Just to be clear, in this universe, Breathweaver is Captain Jack Sparrow if he were (laughs) a cannibal who drinks coagulated blood out of a wine glass.
1: Technically, he didn't eat any of the meat. (laughs) Only the other guy did. It It was pretty much the fuck with John Peters. Yeah. Yep. That's still pretty fucked up.
0: As Captain Arthos disembarks from his now-sunken ship, we quote-unquote pan over to a nearby tavern called the Clever Barracuda. Inside that tavern is Ander at a table talking to a goblin. The goblin looks to Ander and and says, Hey, look, there's only so much I know about Jackie Jan. I don't know what else you want me to
2: do. Ander finishes his mug of ale and says, You're there's definitely more than you're telling me, bud. I don't I don't even know why. Uh, f- words, dang. Uh, I think I end up drinking too much. You, you can do it. You can do it. But I swear. What? <laughs> you you can do it. You can say your words. You're not telling me everything. There's definitely something you know. Otherwise, why would you, your name have come up in the letter? I mean, look, look, the, the guy said
0: he was going to come visit me, he did, and then he left on a uh, passenger boat and left. Like, I don't know what else to
2: tell you. Like, Did you know where the boat was going? Hey, man, I have no idea. I didn't think to ask. I, did, I didn't realize you'd be tracking me down. Oh, you're useless. <laughs> you were saying? Like, like I said, I, I had no idea where the boat was going. I didn't think to ask, because I didn't think he would be tracking me down. If mentions of Jackie come up... I'm usually there. <laughs> I need to know what happened. I mean, like, the guy had mentioned it in passing, but like, I thought he was kinda bullshitting me, so... Does it look like, now that you've heard what I have to say, does it sound like I'm not bullshitting? Well, judging by, I think that's... Like, four cups of gin you you've down, I think
0: you're you're pretty fucking serious, my man.
2: Anyway, you're not my time. You're not wasting... that. You're wasting my time. How about I just take you in the back? (laughs) To... uh... to do what? You'll see.
4: (laughs) (laughs) If... if
0: if you... what? If if you wanted like a... like a... like a prostitute, there's a brothel, you could go there. No. (laughs) The goblin! very confusedly is going to kind of just get up out of his seat and then try to pr- walk out of the bar, out of the tavern. As as he makes his way to the, like, the door, a panicked dwarf basically he rolls into the goblin and is just kind of babbling incoherently, oh my god, they're coming, oh god, strange metal monsters are on their way to ransack the town. The patrons within the bar all look deeply confused. You gotta believe me! They're coming! I saw them with my eyes!
2: What do you mean by metal? They were monsters made of metal! They're coming from the desert to the north! Were they slimy at all? Why would a monster of metal be slimy?
0: I don't understand!
2: Because it's a metal slime?
0: Morgan, fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) You are confusing me! No, there's no... they're not metal slimes. Not metal oozes. Those aren't the thing that
2: exists. Anyway, uh, I should probably deal with this. And Ander's just going to stumble out of the bar.
0: Alright, so... <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so as as Ander makes his way out of the clapper Barracuda, we're going to cut to another scene. As the sun sinks behind the sea, a cloudless night rises, bringing the drinkers, gamblers, and the hell raises to their feet. All have their eyes and livers set to one place, the town's sole tavern, the Clever Barracuda. The bartender here, a human male named Mason, smiles at the boisterous crowd. His tattered black shirt and blue khakis betray a quiet confidence. These were his people, and there was no place he'd rather be. At his bar sits a lone, obese man with aged beige skin, a salt-and-pepper beard, and slicked-back ebony hair. His too-tight tuxedo and dirty features gives the air of some disposed royalty getting down to his last coin. He has a wide, infuriating grin splatter across his face as he finishes his seventh glass of wine. Typically, as a sommelier, one would sample the wine, then spit it back up. But he was not a typical sommelier. He didn't spit. He swallowed. Mason speaks up, standing next to his chief guard, Paul, a brawny orc.
2: Uh, so, so do you think you
0: certify this one as vintage? I can really raise the price if an expert like you gives it the famous sole seal
1: of authenticity. Well, uh, Masan. Uh, it, it's Mason, thank you very much. Uh, you're welcome, Masan.
0: Owl drinks the remaining wine and holds it back in his mouth for a while before swallowing.
1: Well, the wine definitely has a, a good body to it, a, a bit like a sexy woman.
0: Abel does an upsettingly long wink at Mason.
1: But unlike a sexy woman, it actually escaped from that cellar of yours. I kid, I kid, I'm a bit of a jokester.
0: Abel opens his closed eyes slowly. What the fuck? So you can just tell what region it's from, etc. the the year? Well, I'll need another glass, Mason. Alright, fine. But this is your last freebie. Hand it over. Mason begrudgingly fills another glass. The guard, Paul, enters the conversation. His exasperation fermented to anger. All right, listen here, buddy. You've got a lot of free wine in you, buddy. <laughs> so why don't you just uh, tell us a little bit about this wine, but...
1: The guard pokes Owl's chest. D. All right, then. Owl bats away Paul's hand. No need to finger me. That costs extra. I kid, I kid. So, the year is uh, 1192. Um, it's from the the Canto region. Uh, P.O. Box 1. <laughs> 1. 1. 2. <laughs> 1. 1. It's fucking buffoon. No, it's pronounced bassoon, and it wasn't what it looked like. I was working in the D scale. <laughs> so... <laughs> We, have, we asked for the info about the wine. You give us the current year and region we're in. Are you, are you even a sommelier? You've been having a go with this body. Of course, I'm a sommelier. Look how fat I am. Avil jiggles his stomach. Yeah, that that is not an occupational norm. Avil chugs the glass of wine. Uh, all right, all right. Uh, the wine is from the Johto region. It uh, it tastes old, possibly expired. Oh, or maybe too young, not not expired enough, with hints of, 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 hints of, uh, can I, can I get a hint? <laughs> All
2: right, here,
0: here's the hint. Mason looks at the guard. Paul, take him out to the alleyway, <laughs> beat the fat out of him, and when you're done, feed the meat to the fucking sharks. Oh, uh, with pleasure, and with these big fucking big muscles on me. <laughs> Paul flexes and grabs Owl and lifts him up by the scruff of his tuxedo, rubbing the fabric a little bit between his fingers. It's a nice suit. He takes a mental note to steal it.
1: Um, Paul, uh Mason, I don't feel great. I think you served this wine before it's time.
0: Oh, oh, it's time. Oh, it's time. T- time for it uh, uh, time. Time. Time for, fuck you, that's what time it is. And he flexes again while holding Owl. Wait,
1: wait, wait. I know you said you were out of mutton. Uh, is that still the case? Or uh, what's the situation vis a vis the mutton? Because it would really compliment your delicious white wine here. This is a glass of red wine, you fucking fraud.
0: Paul, go ahead and extract some red from this white. Mason says with a smile, as the door to the alleyway is flung open, Mason looks at the obese man and yells gleefully, Somalia later, dipshit. Paul drags the fat man into the dark, trash bag-filled alley. The alleyway's left opens up to the city square, and to the right, a short patch of cobblestone leading to the outstretched ocean. Elwell's heart throbs with excitement, the thrill of the hunt, the secret game of cat and mouse, only he knows he's playing. He loves it.
1: Wait, wait, wait. Paul, just think to yourself, WWBD. Uh, huh, what? What would Bane do? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. Orc, or, orc, man, you don't want to do this. And why is that?
0: Are you the bad kind of fat? I will wipe the wine stain from around his mouth.
1: If you do this, you will fully encounter the wrath of grapes. Alright,
0: listen here, buddy. I came into this town to kick ass and eat mutton. Looks like I've beaten both.
1: What? 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 I think you fucked that up. You you want to take it from the top? Well,
0: between you and me, buddy, is this fucking knife. Paul yells as he stabs his knife towards Elwul. He's shocked, however, as he looks down and sees this gargantuan stomach before him receding faster than his own thrust. He looks up and sees an almost featureless horrifying gray face, a blood-curdling smile forming over. What the fuck? Paul pulls back his knife and tries again. Owl snaps. As two smooth matte black tentacles emerge from the nether and rip the man's arms clean off, twin parabolas of blood glisten in the moonlight, a double rainbow of death, a double pain bow. As the man attempts to scream, another tentacle covers his mouth. Owl grabs Paul by the throat and with surprising distance jumps down the alley to the edge of the waterfront. Owl slowly walks up to Paul.
1: You have no good bar ideas poking his finger into the man's chest he pauses let's take it from the top
0: owl says drawing his dagger and slowly scalping the man he gazes over the black waves
1: it's time to let the tides have a turn buddy
0: paul stops hysterically as life flashes before him it is with that thought owl drops him into the black brine the man does not resurface it fills a with a primal pleasure a deep sense of power free wine and a little murder Owl holds the scalpel before him before letting it go. A great way to top off the night, he thinks. (laughs) As he looks downward, his thoughts turn upward as Owl contemplates a short prayer. He then says it aloud so the audience can hear it.
1: (laughs) Freeing sky from fire's wreath, the whispered words of clenching teeth. On broken legs, the doomed ones flee. North to south, the coming freeze. Every forest and every sea.
0: And as he looks out across the ocean, he takes out a small music box and winds the crank. A quiet melody begins whirring out, and he contemplates the horizon, unable to help wonder if there's something more. I re-enters the bar, his form now changed to match Paul's. He drunkenly sits in the same seat as before, looking at Mason and says,
1: Yeah, yeah. I- <clears throat> yeah yeah i killed paul sorry i mean i killed that fat guy he, he was also named paul hence the confusion but yeah the uh the orc sorry the human is dead uh buddy hit me up with some wine some some white wine that was uh that was taxing
0: mason smiles as he hears his best friend and lover has completed the <laughs> mission successfully. he pulls out a ring from under the bar he'd been waiting for a long time trying to find the right opportunity to ask the question for some reason now
1: seems perfect also, do you have any mutton? <laughs>
0: All right, before we continue, Tyler, are you supposed to be fucking Orson Welles in that wine commercial?
1: Uh, I didn't try to do the voice, but yeah, so I was, the, the main inspiration for, like, the, the I guess the concept came from that wine commercial. Oh, this red yeah. sharp paint. I, realized I like how, ha- how you called
3: him Paul, by the way. <laughs> that setup was, like, a long time coming just to say you had no good bar ideas.
1: <laughs> no, I actually did that because of Paul Masson. And that's why I kept mispronouncing Mason. (laughs) Oh. Sorry, you realized I meant to say take this outside. (laughs) (laughs) We gotta do his over. Are we actually going to?
2: No.
4: Thanks for listening to this episode of Good Job Adventures. If you like what you just heard, be sure to let us know by subscribing to the podcast and leaving a review for us. For questions about the cast, business inquiries, or if you know how to use the three seashells, Contact us at goodjobadventures at gmail.com. For everything else, follow us on Twitter at GJAdventures. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. And out.